the Monday Mindset Podcast, where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 44. This week, it's Terry's turn to share something that she's found interesting. So what have you been listening to this week, Terry? All right. Well, I have something that I think is pretty interesting, but it's kind of a big topic. So it actually will be a two-part, as yours was last week. I started listening to some podcasts where the people were interviewing a particular person on a particular topic. So I'm learning more about her and what she teaches. But the first one is from episode 463 of The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. And the title of that is The Mind Versus the Brain and Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess with guest Dr. Caroline Leaf. And the other episode that I listened to was an episode of Quick Brain with Jim Quick, and that is Five Steps to Clean Up Your Mind with Dr. Caroline Leaf. So I have been listening just to learn more about kind of what she teaches and learn about this topic. Just to give you a little background on her, she is a cognitive neuroscientist who has a PhD in communication pathology, specializing in neuropsychology. And a lot of her more clinical work was actually working with teaching through techniques to help people who had experienced traumatic brain injury, learning disabilities, emotional trauma, or various things to help them kind of grow their brain. So she was an early pioneer in this whole topic of neuroplasticity that we hear more about now. And so I was really interested in learning from her. In general, you and I have talked about this before, and many listeners will already know this, but basically neuroplasticity is the idea that we can change our brain. And also now there's a, another new topic of neurogenesis, meaning building new nerve tissue. And, you know, 30, 40 years, maybe 40 years ago, this was really something we didn't know about. If someone experienced a traumatic brain injury, we didn't have a lot of hope of how they would survive or how they would function again. And it's just changed so much. And it wasn't until the mid-1990s, until we really started to believe that we could change our brain. So it's been with us for a while, but it's still a, a bit of a terrain that's not traveled by a lot of us yet. So mm -hmm. it's very exciting to me. They were talking about mental health. And she said, you know, in the past, before we really started learning more about neuroplasticity, we used to actually do better for mental health purposes. We knew how to help people with mental health better because we could see that what they were experiencing in their life experiences was contributing to what was going on depression or anxiety-wise. Once we started learning more about the brain and how it all functions, we kind of left a lot of that behind. And we started to look at it more as, let's look for the neurological reason why this is happening. So we started focusing more on medications. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. So we stopped kind of paying attention to, which is kind of interesting when I think back to what you and I talked about last week in the need to let people process traumas and difficult things. And it's not just get over it or in our modern medical approach, 
just take a medication for it. So we really forgot to pay attention to the narrative of the person. So although we were advancing technologically, science-wise, knowing more about the brain, we actually were doing ourselves a disservice with how we were using that knowledge. So she talked about mental health challenges are actually responses, not cause or not just entities of themselves, but they're the responses to underlying issues, changes in the brain. And if we focus only on the neurological or biological aspects of this, we ignore the experiential part that influences and changes our brain. And so that's really where her work is so important. Oh, that's really interesting. And I can, yeah, I can see how the limitations of just focusing on that chemical fix, mm-hmm. you're only potentially fixing one part of the problem. Mm-hmm. 50 years ago, if you went to your doctor and explained that you were experiencing depression, they would probably take more time to understand what was going on. Mm. And now I know from so many experiences with clients when I was a psychologist, so many friends, family members, my own experiences. Now when you go in and say that, they say, okay, no problem. Here's your prescription. Mm. So again, like you said, we just, we stopped going back and looking at the bigger picture. So unfortunately, there's this other concept that I had to read about real quickly, and it's it's not one that's real uplifting, but she referred to the death of despair. It sounds nice at first, meaning, oh, good, we don't have to worry about despair anymore, but that's not actually what it means. You know, during the 1900s, we were seeing people's lives, the longevity increase significantly. Obviously, we were learning a lot about safety and medicine and healthcare. And so the general life expectancy was increasing quite a bit. But by the 1990s, people started dying sooner. But strangely, the population that was most affected by that was kind of middle-class white men. So now, by the 2000s, People generally are dying 18 to 25 years younger Hmm. than when we had gotten to that kind of longevity peak. So I found that really fascinating. Why is that? You know, why, if we know so much more, why are we doing this? And she really just kind of touches on the idea of this death of despair is because we're not having the same quality of interpersonal interactions. We're spending more time on technology. And so this idea that as we are increasing our ability so much, we are actually reverting. We're moving backwards as human beings. So this topic, again, I think is super important to all of us. As the two of them were talking, he started asking questions about why is this an important topic? Why do you bring up the mind and the brain? Because most of us use those words interchangeably, and I know I do. And this really made me aware that I want to start paying attention to that and how I use these words. So she talks about when we kind of go through a list of contributing factors of how we function, we might put our mind in that list. She said that does not give it the proper place. It is the thing that drives all of our functioning. 
she talked about how long we can go without food before we die, how long we can go without water before we die. She said, but we don't go more than three seconds without engaging our mind. So the mind is actually the driver of all of our functions. So they talked some about the idea that every thought we have affects the chemistry in our brain. So it affects what's being kind of released or transmitted in our brain chemically, which can turn genes on or off, which creates proteins that we then influence. And she described it as we kind of make trees in our brain. So that initial part when we start to have the thought are the roots developing. We get those proteins responding and then we have experiences. And so those are branches on the tree. So you just start to picture these trees developing every time we have a thought. And she uses that analogy throughout. Sean Stevenson brought up at this point, he was frustrated by the way many of us have learned to label as our mental health concerns. So to say, you know, I'm an anxious person. And you and I, I know, have talked about this before. When people say, I'm a depressive person. Mm. When people say, I'm bipolar. We take a label from a diagnosis and apply it as an identity. They both talked about this, but labeling mental health gives us a way as clinicians to figure out what we're going to do about it and what to prescribe. And all of those things change our brain. And so his main point was we are not the diagnosis. Mm. We are a person who is experiencing depression. We are a person who is anxious right now, has anxious feelings. And he talked about the idea that the feelings are feedback, not the problem. And so going back to some of what we talked about last week, I think for me, this is really important to think about in how I used to work with clients as a psychologist. When the focus is on the problem and the problem and the problem versus that is not the problem. Someone is responding to an event in their lives, potentially in a problematic way. How can we make different sense of that? How can we grow from that? I think is the important piece. And then they both talked about, unfortunately, that we actually have a worse problem with mental health issues since the onset of the kind of proliferation of psychotropic medications. You know, when they first started being prescribed very commonly, you would think, oh, good, we should no longer have very much depression happening or we shouldn't have much anxiety. But we actually, it's just a growing issue. And I don't think it's just because we have better mechanisms to diagnose. Mm. I do think it does affect our brains and it affects how we make sense of the world. So she then goes into talking with him about the mind and the brain, and that they're not the same thing. Those are not terms we can just use interchangeably. She describes in science that the concept of mind has been a hard question. Scientists can't quite pinpoint it. And she said it should be the easy question. It's the easy thing, but it's been difficult. So she talked about, in general, what happens with our mind and our brain. It's all kind of electromagnetic field we build our thoughts through experiences. And in the mind, then we think, we feel, we choose. We think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose. Like we just constantly go through that cycle. So you remember when I talked about how she used the analogy of building these roots and then the experiences build these into trees. 
We have trillions of these little building branches or roots, every thought, experience, feedback. So they're really complicated. We have a ton of them. So we build these trees in our brain. We have between 37 to 100 trillion cells in our body and our brain. And thought, our thoughts really are made up then of memories, these little experiences, these branches, these parts of trees. So what is in our brains is also in the other cells of our body. And this is part of why we can understand that we have physical responses to trauma years later. When you think of PTSD responses, if someone had a traumatic event happen and there was a certain smell of a candle burning, that smell is repulsive to them and they will have physical response to that smell. And again, this is because those memories are not just in our brain. They're in our body. We store them. So when we experience those things again, the feelings come back, the thoughts come back, and the pervasive way of making sense of it comes back. So people, again, kind of get locked into feeling victimized or, you know, that they're in danger. Mm. So she talked about the fact that the brain is the physical part of the system. It's the mechanism through which things can happen. She says, it is the responder, not the creator. The mind is the creator. So when we work on our mind, we are going to change our brain. They are separate, the brain and mind, but they're inseparable. They have to work together. So she added emphasis to how many times we go through these processes. And I thought this was fascinating. When we are consciously using our conscious mind, so actively thinking about something, there are about 400 billion actions taking place. Wow. And when we are using our unconscious processing, so the part that we're not aware of, only about 200 billion actions <laughs> are taking place. Then we are aware of this information within 10 second intervals which is how we really self-regulate. We're constantly gathering data and then deciding what to do. Again, thought, feel, choose, thought, feel, choose. So unfortunately, many of us believe and use the terminology that our thoughts are coming from our brain. My brain made me do it. It's in my brain. But that's not really true. The brain, again, is just that physical structure through which the mind expresses itself. And she used this example, and at first she has a little bit of an accent, and I couldn't figure out what she was describing, so I had to go back and listen to it like three times. And she said, you know, if you're ever in like elementary school and they give you a piece of white paper and some iron filings, so these little like shavings of iron, they just kind of sit there and they're in a pattern and everything, but you don't really think much about it. But you go hold a magnet over them mm -hmm. and they form certain structures and they do certain things. And so she said, in this example... The brain is the magnet. It is how these thoughts are going to structure themselves and how they're going to express. But they exist first. And so the reason, again, I wanted to talk about this is I think so often we think that challenges we face or ways that we do things are just set structures in our brain. 
and to really start looking at if we work on our mind, we will change our brain. And she used examples, she talked about examples where she worked with a client back when she was working with traumatic brain injury. And the person prior to injury did not have a really high IQ, was kind of average and thing. After injury, of course, like very low functioning. And in their work together, came out in the end higher in IQ than even prior to injury. So if we can really learn how to, she has a book called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, that we need to start learning how to use our mind differently to change our brain, to change the structures, the, you and I have talked about, you know, the neural pathways, but that we have more influence on that than we know. They are not just set structures in our brain. They are active building pieces in our mind. That's very interesting. And I imagine the conversation that she had with Jim Quick must have been very interesting because that reminded me a lot about his story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because of course, he had issues with a damaged brain, didn't he? And, and problems mm-hmm. during school. Mm-hmm. And so he had to be creative and learn new ways mm. to use his mind to change his brain. To restructure his brain. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. And both conversations were very interesting. You know, of course, I'm very biased. I would listen to Jim Quick read the phone book. They're just so interesting, or he's so interesting. And Sean Stevenson is very um, health-focused. He talks a lot about diet and health. And I was thinking, actually, for you and I, thinking about this, one parallel in a different way of thinking about it. But when we think about health and weight management, you and I agree to some ideas about why our body becomes unhealthy and what makes us gain weight and what allows us to lose weight based on what foods we eat and you know how often we eat, those kind of things. And I think that's similar to this whole thing about mental health. If we work on the underlying building blocks, if we, you know, if we work on how we what trees we're developing and growing and how we're growing those trees. Things like medications and things don't make as much sense because they are more managing the symptoms as a response Mm. rather than getting to the root problem of what's not functioning well. Why is it not functioning well? And so topics like this are always significant to me because they're about getting to the underneath understanding rather than treating it on the surface. I tell you the other thing that jumped out at me. I really like the imagery of the trees and the starting with those roots and developing the trunks and the branches and you know going out and out and out you can you know you can just picture it and but you can you can see also how thinking about a tree you can see how that grows and develops and strengthens Mm -hmm. over time and also how potential damage is done Mm -hmm. and thinking about it from a horticultural point of view about how trees grow you know it is very important about what they take up through their roots but it's also very important the finer bits as it goes further and further out the photosynthesis that happens 
through the leaves that's part of what feeds and nourishes mm. them as well and what came to my mind was thinking about the images i've seen about those fine capillaries in the brain and what happens again referring it back to keto and diet but what happens when you have issues with too much glucose in the mm -hmm. blood over years and thinking of Alzheimer's and thinking of damage to those mm -hmm. fine little capillaries and them just getting shut off with sugar and how mm -hmm. important that is. So I really like the way that image of a tree works in all sorts mm -hmm. of different ways. And you can also see when you think about the complexity of that, how it's so obvious really that throwing chemicals at the problem, although it might help solve it partially, it's never going to really solve the problem overall that you've got to have these different approaches and I thought it was it was fascinating and again very obvious to go back before we had these chemicals that potentially could help had to get more creative and to really think around the problem and find other ways of dealing with it and instead of as the some of these chemical solutions came instead of keeping both mm -hmm. it was just well let's take the easy option and and forget about the more maybe laborious process that we used before but actually the the most beneficial thing would be to carry them both on together absolutely and i like that you brought up the kind of horticultural perspective and you are much more knowledgeable in this area than me but just conceptually it's reminding me of an episode we did a while back and there was an analogy to your garden. It was with Rick Hansen and his son, Forrest, and just talking about, again, kind of cleaning up your mental mess, kind of mm -hmm. like what she's saying. But they talked about, like, you have to go in and you have to weed your garden, you have to prune. And so I'm imagining if you had 10 trees in a small area, you would have to trim back some. You'd have to, some you might have to trim back in a way that they don't keep growing. And I think we have to do that with our mind. We have to be careful not to keep giving all the nutrients and all the sunlight to the, the tree that's taking over and is actually killing the other trees or whatever. We have to trim that one back so that the other ones can get their sun. And so it's cool that you brought that up because it just made me think of that. Like, yeah, that literally we have to be doing that. Now, I like how that works. The tree imagery works on all sorts of different levels. And yet, as you were talking then about pruning, I can take that a step further in that, yes, certain different plants, but trees in particular, I'm thinking of, say, something like a fruit tree. If you want to get the best fruit out of your tree, you prune it in a certain way. You prune it, you tend to, I'm often when I am describing to people if they're wanting to learn how to prune, it's the same for roses, do that sort of upturned cup bowl shape. The idea is that you need to get as much sunshine and light in. So you're pruning out the dead branches, but you're pruning out the branches that cross over, that overcrowd. You're wanting to create this 
lovely open bowl shape that lets all the light, all the air and keeps the tree as healthy as possible and also pruned to do what you want it to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're shaping it and you're growing it to produce the most fruit or maybe you're, you know, shaping it and pruning it to produce the most flowers or the better foliage Mm -hmm. or you know you get the idea you're deciding Mm -hmm. what you want from your tree and you're you're shaping it and growing it accordingly and of course you know you're feeding it well and you're looking after it and yeah it, it works on so many different levels I like it and again to connect this back to what we talked about last week and I know we still have more to come on this topic but let's say some of my trees are based on a traumatic event. I don't want to keep nurturing those trees and Mm. giving them all of the sunlight. I would prune them very differently. I don't want much out of them anymore. I actually want them to kind of shrink versus going to the positivity piece. I want to open those up. I want to allow myself to have more positive responses in the world, but it doesn't mean I don't still build trees around difficult things or out of difficult things. And I'm just, again, kind of going back to what you talked about. I think the idea of toxic positivity says, oh, we just we just ignore those trees or we just go in and cut all those damaging trees or painful trees down. Well, we can't really do that. But we can decide where to put more of our emphasis at certain times for what we need from our trees. Yes, it's a bit like I forget what it's called now, but that beautiful process with Japanese ceramics when a bowl is broken Mm -hmm. and they make a feature of fixing it Mm -hmm. very beautifully with bits of gold and things. So you can see all the repairs and it becomes something new. Mm-hmm. And something just as beautiful in a completely different way. Yeah. But you don't try and hide those repairs. Right. Or pretend that the damage that was done or the breakage yeah. or whatever didn't happen. And don't try and hide it. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. How cool that our topics that we've been focusing on, how much they just kind of intertwine. Yeah. We do that a lot. (laughs) Which is why we started the podcast. We have some overlapping branches that talk to each other when we don't (laughs) realise. So we've both, it seems, again been thinking in sync. So next week I'll be coming back to talk more about the second episode with Brene Brown and Susan David and we'll be coming back to this fascinating topic of yours the week after that. Excellent. Looking forward to all of those. I hope everyone has a great week and look forward to everyone joining us again. Fantastic. Have a great week. Bye.